I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. They're coming for you, Barbara. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Midwest Movie Maniacs. I'm Damian D. And I'm Mark Storm. And today we're going to be discussing a little movie from 2000 called Bloody Murder. And if you heard our intro episode, you may have thought we were talking about a different movie starring a hockey mask wearing maniac, but sorry, we're not. Oh, uh, actually, I am a little sorry that it wasn't that movie, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, I figured you might have got a little excited when I threw that out at the last episode because I was kind of hoping you would think we were going to be doing that movie, but not this time. Like I said in the intro episode, that is my favorite franchise, so I'm pretty sure that we will be doing that movie, all of those movies, probably, maybe, maybe not the remake, maybe, I don't know, hated that, but... That's for another podcast. So this movie that we are discussing today is Bloody Murder. At this point, I would probably talk about the people that started this movie, but I honestly don't really care. Um, there's one exception, and that would be the girl who is kind of the main girl. The character's name is Julie, and she is played by an actress named Jessica Morris. Uh, the only reason why I'm mentioning her is because she did go on to star in several movies, including many movies for the Hallmark Channel and quite a few movies that were on the Lifetime Network, which Mark is a huge fan of these movies. He's going to run them off for you right now. Oh, yeah. I did a little IMDb research on Jessica Morris, and she was in a string of movies. The Wrong Fiance, The Wrong Mommy, The Wrong Teacher, The Wrong Man, The Wrong Student, The Wrong Roommate. And at this point, I honestly got writer's cramp from repeatedly writing the wrong blank. So uh, with that being said, after having watched this movie without having watched any of those movies, apparently Jessica Morris has a tendency to pick the wrong script. Yeah. And just for the record, nobody's buying that. You looked it up on IMDb bullshit, Mark. We all know you watched every one of those movies on Lifetime. Well, you know, being the big Lifetime fan that I am, I have their app and everything. Okay, I can't even freaking do this. Do they even have an app? Uh, I, you would know. I, I don't know. But I'm not going to lie. I do watch quite a few of their movies because they tend to do a lot of like uh, horror type, you know, thriller type movies. And most of them are garbage, but some of them are actually kind of fun. If there's nothing else to do and there's one on, it's not so bad. But a little side note on Jessica Morris. In an interview, she did go on to state that she absolutely hated this movie, which is kind of crazy because I didn't think this movie was as bad as some of those the wrong blank movies probably are. I've never watched any of them, but let's be real. They're lifetime movies they're probably bad right but i mean i would have to say that with her having the intestinal fortitude to come out and actually make that statement i would say that i am suddenly a jessica morris fan because i was not a fan of this movie myself so the fact that she had the guts to come out and say that a movie that she starred in that she was featured in was horrible good for her because i couldn't agree more she didn't say it was horrible she said she absolutely hated it so take that to me tomato tomato you know Maybe, maybe, maybe she hated making it or maybe she hated the finished product. I don't know. We'd have to talk to her about that. And we don't have her as a guest on this episode, so we'll never know. With that being said, 
I'm going to uh, jump but in. But Jessica Morris, if you're out there and you're listening and you want to be a guest someday and you want to talk about this show, hit us up on Twitter. Oh, yes. By all means, we'll, we'll bring you on. And uh, we might even talk about, you know, the wrong whatever. Lifetime movies. Uh, we could throw some of those in there. But at this point, I'm going to jump into a little bit of plot summary. Uh, just a real quick rundown of the basic idea for this movie. Then we'll get into more details. So here we go with that. Nestled deep within the woods is Camp Placid Pine where a collection of teenage counselors convene to prepare for the arrival of the younger campers. As they go about sprucing up the camp, they discuss the legend of Trevor Morehouse, a psychotic chainsaw-wielding killer said to terrorize campers. When her fellow counselors start vanishing, Julie realizes that the Morehouse legend is all too true and that her chances of survival are dwindling rapidly. Uh, with that being said, chainsaw-wielding killer is a bit of a stretch. We see a chainsaw at the beginning and at the end. Throughout the movie, the kills are done with various weapons, and uh, not chainsaw. So, yeah, I didn't write that, so blame whoever did. If I would have written it, it would just been like, hey, you seen Friday the 13th? Yeah, same movie, different people, not done as well. And this movie does have a tagline, and that tagline would be, have you ever played the game Bloody Murder? And the answer would be, nope. Yeah, I can honestly say that uh, the game of Bloody Murder was never on my radar as a child. Nope, I don't think it was a real game. I think they made that shit up. But maybe it was a real game. Um, if it was a real game and some of you have played it, hit us up and let us know. We'll give you all of our social medias at the end of the episode if you would like to uh, hit us up and say, hey, I played Bloody Murder. It was great. Whatever. Just for the record, this movie is rated R, probably because of all the super graphic, intensely gory, horrifying violence, and nonstop gratuitous sex and nudity. Or probably because it's just really bad and they were hoping the R rating would chase people away and make them not go see it. Go see it. Like this was ever in theaters. Not pick it up off the shelf at their rental store or online. Right, as you're walking through Blockbuster, Blockbuster was still around in 2000, correct? I do believe they were still around. Uh, family Video and Hollywood Video, I believe, were also still around. Yeah, Hilltop Video, etc. But uh, yeah, if you're walking through and you see the picture of a hockey mask on the cover of the VHS box and you decide that you're going to grab it because you think you're getting one thing and then they pull the old flip and switcheroo and you end up with this steaming pile of shit. So... Yeah, I would say this goes back to when they release, you know, their offshoots of Aladdin and Shrek and all these other movies conveniently around the same time that the actual movie comes out, hoping that they can capitalize on people's inattentions and distractions from their children and et cetera. So, yeah, I would chalk this up to being one of those where a lot of people probably grabbed it thinking they were they were getting one thing and they got something completely different. Well, those people would be morons because the hockey mask on the cover is clearly not Jason Voorhees. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I mean, the uh, dollar store hockey mask look better than the hockey mask in this movie. Right. And with that being said, this movie also was clearly not a movie along the lines of a Friday the 13th. So the low-grade hockey mask was definitely a great form of symbolism as far as a contrast from one movie, the original that set the scene for so many legendary horror movies and franchises to this. Right. But... I do believe this hockey mask does make a return in Bloody Murder 2, which we have not seen, but we very well may watch and review, or we may not watch and review. 
to be truthful, I kind of want to watch it just because I kind of want to know where they're going to go with this story after the way they wrapped up the movie. But who knows? I might just have to watch it on my own. Yeah, I, I may watch Bloody Murder 2 or I may choose to give myself an appendectomy. I'm not sure at this point which one I would rather do. So anyway, let's uh, let's move forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also wanted to mention that this movie was directed by a man named Ralph E. Portillo. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is because he has quite a long list of movies that he was producer or director on. I'm not going to run through them because there are going to be a lot of movies that you've probably never heard of because I've definitely never heard of them. But one notable movie that he did do was uh, 2019's Fighting With My Family, which was the uh, WWE movie about the wrestler Paige, which kind of surprised me because, you know, that was a big budget production that actually got released into theaters, unlike the movie we're reviewing today. And actually, another tidbit about Ralph Portillo is he went on to have a very successful food franchise known for amazing chili dogs and Italian beef and, yeah, very, very mass following throughout the food industry. So, um, Mark, I'm pretty sure that's not the same Portillo. Oh, well, shit. Yeah, sorry, but I don't think we're talking about the same guy. Yeah. But if we are, and uh, you are that Portillo, Ralph, go ahead and hit us up and let us know. And feel free to send us some coupons, gift cards, etc. Exactly. We'll never say no to free food. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and get into this movie. It opens up kind of just typical horror movie opening with a car driving in the dark. This particular scene is a little too dark, but yeah, you can see the car, you know, it's there. Car stalls out, breaks down, whatever. And the guy who I believe's name is Bill. Yes, it, it is Bill. Okay, I wasn't paying that much attention to it. He says he's gonna go get some gas. We're out of gas, gotta go get some gas. But uh, one thing that I wanted to note here was his wife or girlfriend is in the car and she appears to be very pregnant. It and he's just, I'm just going to leave you sitting in the car in the middle of the woods and I'm going to go wandering off into the darkness. Right. Never mind the fact that countless movies started exactly the same way. And I do realize it back in the, this time. They did not have GPS enabled vehicles where you could send an emergency signal and whatnot. But yeah, I exactly thought the same thing as far as like, Bill, what the fuck are you doing? You're leaving your very pregnant lady alone in the car to walk through the woods in the dark, nonetheless. So not only are you putting her at risk, but you're doing a really fucking dumb thing, Bill. <laughs> so, but I mean, let's be honest. These movies are made on people doing dumb things. And we would like to thank you, Bill, for your contribution. Exactly. And then Mr. Bill wanders on a little ways and he sees a vehicle. So he starts calling out, hey, 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 I need gas. Can you help me out? I need gas. And the driver of the vehicle, I guess we would assume, steps out and he's got a chainsaw. Oh, no. And he starts the chainsaw. But I would like to note the actual chainsaw doesn't start. The blade never moves. That chainsaw is not running, despite the fact that we can hear the sound of a running chainsaw. So bad, 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 bad movie making there. Right. And also Bill, for some reason, still continues to engage and ask the guy in the mask for help. Yeah. Now, mind you folks, this is pre-2020 where it is quite common to see people wandering around in a mask, but this is a completely different type of mask. Yeah, this is a psycho in a hockey mask and he's still thinking this guy's going to give him a hand right so well it's because he was wearing that uh, mechanics onesie we'll call it 
that jumpsuit that a mechanic wears. So he's like, oh, he's just a mechanic who likes to wear a mask. Right. You know, if he's underneath and he's working on a carburetor and all of a sudden the carburetor falls on his face, this mask is going to protect him. So who knows what kind of genius thoughts were running through Bill's mind at this time, because obviously we've already established that Bill is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Right. And I mean, clearly this mechanic was out in the woods in the middle of the night with a chainsaw because he was going to do a little tree pruning. That's his hobby. When he's not fixing cars, he's pruning trees. Who knows? Maybe that tree was impeding the vehicle he was trying to repair by some means. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've watched American Pickers where they've had trees grown into cars that they're trying to buy and everything else. So I don't know. Maybe that's what Bill thought was happening was, hey, I'm going to be on Pickers. And Psycho Dude with the chainsaw, all he's trying to do is remove that tree so they can buy that friggin' 57 Chevy. Right, which, side note, the American Pickers, their little store on that show, is actually just up the road from us. Never been there, but it's just a, what, 45-minute drive up the road from us? Yeah, I've been there a handful of times. It's actually pretty cool, but it has turned into more of a merchandising home. Right. T-shirts, novelties, etc., and the things that they do have for purchase that they have found are well beyond my means, <laughs> unless you're willing to send donations. And then hit me up at the Mark Storm on Twitter. Yes, 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 yes. So, at any rate, the uh, chainsaw-wielding mechanic begins chasing Bill through the woods and at one point he hits a tree with the chainsaw and the tree just falls over because you know that's how chainsaws work yeah i ran my share of chainsaws after the derecho last year and yeah i would say the tree removal is not quite that simple Right. But eventually, inevitably, he catches up with Bill. We don't actually see what happens, but we assume that he's chainsawed to death. He circumcised him with a chainsaw. Yeah, maybe he did. Maybe he just gave him a chainsaw haircut. We don't know for sure, but we're just going to assume Bill's dead. We don't ever find out what happens to the pregnant girl. So who knows? Maybe she lived. Maybe she survived. Maybe somebody came along the next day and found her sleeping in the car. And they took her off to the hospital. She gave birth and went on to have a nice, happy life without Bill the dumbass. So then uh, we get the uh, title of the movie pops up. Very generic, very boring, just white letters that just say bloody murder. No big fancy intro. And we jump to another car driving, this time daytime, not in the woods. Bunch of people in the car talking and bullshitting. And uh, they are talking about Trevor Morehouse. And one of the guys says he has a chainsaw for a hand. Um, I think this guy was confused and thought he was in the Evil Dead movies because Trevor Morehouse does not, in fact, have a chainsaw for a hand. That would be Ash from the Evil Dead series. Groovy. Right. And I would say that at this point, just what, a mere 10, 15 minutes into this movie, the majority of the cast probably wishes they were in the Evil Dead movies as well. <laughs> yes, probably. So we see these people arriving at a place called Camp Placid Pines, because that's the most boring name the producers of this movie could come up with for the campground, for the summer camp, I would say. And so this is where they meet the owner, manager. I'm not quite sure exactly what he is. Uh, Patrick, I believe his name is. Yeah, Patrick, I believe he is the senior camp counselor, possibly. I'm not exactly sure what his position is, but he's in some position of authority. Yeah, he's their boss. He's the one in charge. And he says everybody's names. Oh, hey, you're you, 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 and you. I know this because I saw it on your application. And I said, did their applications include photographs? Because how would you know who's who just off of names on an application? Well, I'm guessing Patrick was privileged to the headshots that they had when they auditioned for this <laughs> wonderful, amazing, fantastic work of art. 
very possible. It's very possible. And then uh, at this point, they ask, is there anybody else here? And we are introduced to Brad, who immediately lets us know that him and Jason don't like each other. And they have a very good reason for not liking each other. Jason hates Brad because they used to run track together and Jason broke his leg and couldn't run track anymore. But Brad continued to run track. And if that's not the stupidest fucking reason I've ever heard to hate somebody, I don't know what is. Right. Dude, how is it his fault you broke your leg and couldn't run anymore? So he was supposed to be like, oh, poor Jason, I'm going to quit running too because you can't run anymore. I can speak on personal experience. I ran track in high school and there was an incident where making the final push for the finish line, I got my legs tied up with another person I was running against and we both hit the track and I had a hairline fracture in my foot. And it was an incident. It was, there was absolutely no animosity whatsoever there. So apparently he's just a freaking asshole because shit happens. He's a piece of shit. And they don't even say that Brad was in any way involved or responsible for the injury. They just said that he was like 10 yards from the finish line and he broke his knee, which I'm not even sure. Like, I guess he was running too hard or whatever. They don't give details, but there's no indication that it was Brad's fault. So I don't know why he would hate Brad for doing, you know, for this incident that took place, but apparently he does. Yeah. I left a lot on answer questions. It's like, how does one exactly break their knee? Right. I mean, I guess it's just a matter of dumbing it down. They don't want to run through the hole. Oh, he tore his ACL as MCA. You know, etc. And I mean, I guess that's just a basic way of putting it. He broke his knee. So, hey. Right. And we will learn later in this movie that these people just have issues when it comes to knees. But we'll discuss that a little bit later. Then um, I think they met a couple more people, a couple more counselors come along and say hi. And then uh, they go, hey, we're going to start loading up this shit. We're going to take this food inside and start getting things ready because the kids are going to be getting here soon. And then there was one one scene that kind of stood out to me. One of the girls is carrying some food, goes, oh, where should I put this? And she's told to put it in the pantry. She walks into the pantry and for no apparent reason, creepy music starts to play. Like something is about to happen. But nothing happens. Like, I guess the pantry is just scary. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what they were attempting in there was a false scare as far as building that anticipation, you know, waiting for something. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here taking notes throughout this whole thing and I got my pen ready. And then it's like, oh, yeah, in fact, I've got here scratched out. Toby and Julie locked in a cooler. Whitney is in the pantry alone. And so I'm just waiting for Whitney to freaking bite it because, I mean, let's be honest, Bill's possible murder doesn't really even count at this point. So I'm waiting. I'm thinking they're going to hit the ground hot and heavy with Whitney's murder and absolutely nothing, no delivery whatsoever. It's like junior prom night all over again for me. You know, you had these anticipations of what was going to happen and you're just left alone sitting there with only your thoughts. Yep. Yep. And, and they even try to give you a little bit of false scare when the two get locked in and they start banging on the walls. And then Whitney pauses for a second because she hears the banging and they kind of give you that vibe like she's hearing something. But we already know she's hearing them banging on the walls inside of the freezer or cooler refrigerator. I don't know. I guess it's a refrigerator because that's what Whitney says when she does finally open the door. She tells Toby that he shouldn't be trying to get laid in the refrigerator because girls don't want to take their clothes off in the refrigerator. Yeah, I know. I don't know where Toby's mind is because I sure as hell don't want to take my pants off in the freaking freezing ass cold. <laughs> no. Shrinkage is not my friend. The shrinkage is a very real thing. So uh, then we move along. We see Julie wandering along and Crazy Ralph from Friday the 13th shows up. Oh, no, no, wait. This is Crazy Henry. My bad. Crazy Henry shows up and warns Julie that Nelson has come back for revenge. 
And of course, the first thing that comes to mind is who the fuck is Nelson? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I thought we were uh, watching out for Trevor Morehouse. That's why we had Trevor Morehouse is coming. This is Trevor Morehouse's woods. Oh, hey, Nelson's coming. Who the fuck is Nelson and why should we care? Yeah, I literally backed it up probably two or three times and was like, Nelson. And at first I thought that maybe there was a mistake that was made and somehow it slipped through the cracks as far as it's like, he met Trevor, right? And it's like, no, he's clearly saying Nelson. He obviously means Nelson. And we're not talking about Nelson from The Simpsons either. Right. And we also know this for sure because a little later he appears and once again mentions Nelson. So Nelson's coming back for revenge. Nelson, everybody, be ready. Look out for Nelson. Fuck Trevor Morehouse with his chainsaw arm. It's Nelson that's going to come and get you. Right. And I mean, what better way to say, hey, this movie is going to be all kinds of convoluted and fucked up than to throw in another character completely out of left field. And you have no idea what they're talking about. Right. But it does come back around to Nelson, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually we know what that means. But in in this point, there's been no mention of a Nelson. So you're just kind of like, what? So we uh, move along now when we get to the uh, counselors, the kids, the guys, the people, the dipshits, whatever you want to call them. They're all sitting around shooting the shit. And uh, one of them says, hey, you guys ever played Bloody Murder? They go, no, what's Bloody Murder? Basically, it's tag. I'm going to cover my eyes. You're all going to run. Then I'm going to come and look for you. And if I find you, tag, you're it. You got the old Bloody Murder and run away. If I get you, then you become the murderer. I don't know. I wasn't paying a lot of attention. Sounds like a stupid ass game that I don't think anybody would actually want to play but they all agree to play and then almost immediately we get a shot of i believe whitney going why are we playing this stupid fucking game and it's like hey wit you agreed to play this stupid fucking game why are you complaining now yeah we're playing this stupid fucking game because it was a democracy and y'all agreed that you wanted to fucking play it because hell why not you already have trevor morehouse and then you throw friggin nelson in there so why not throw in a fucking game of bloody murder as well just to kind of keep on the friggin shit and right i felt like basically what this was it was just a perfect setup for a bunch of good old-fashioned cheap scares and that's exactly what they came through with right we even get jason warning everybody to be on the lookout for trevor morehouse because we are in his backyard so he gives them a warning as they all go wandering off alone into the woods. And they even convince Brad to play because now apparently Brad and Jason don't hate each other because Jason's like, hey, buddy, you want to play too? And Brad's like, oh, sure, I guess I'll play. And then this leads to the scene where Brad is walking and the mechanic in a hockey mask pops out and scares the shit out of him. And he's doing the typical backing up, uh, please don't get me, Mr. Bad Guy. And he falls down and the uh, masked man reveals himself to be Jason. (laughs) Don't get excited. Not that Jason. But the asshole Jason from this movie. Right. It basically turns out that this whole bloody murder game was just a setup so they could play this prank. They being Jason and Dean, the other major asshole, they were going to play a prank on Brad, which resulted in him falling and hitting his head on a rock and busting his head open, which really doesn't go anywhere other than just to prove that these two are assholes. Right. And also what it does is it leads you to believe that Brad and Bill were somehow related because Brad was in the same vein as Bill, a freaking idiot, because you should have been able to see this prank coming from a mile away, (laughs) which I did. Pretty much. 
And then at this point, I've got in my notes that Jason is maybe killed off camera, but I don't remember what happens to give that impression. First off, you completely skipped over, maybe you dozed off at this point. Jason proves how big of a jackass he is because he cheats on Julie with Whitney. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Dean watches. Yeah, so basically he's watching and he's like, oh, Jason, you devil, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's watching and then all of a sudden he realizes that it is indeed Whitney that Jason is sleeping with. Right. Not Julie, not his girlfriend, but Whitney. So what says I deserve to be murdered more than infidelity? Right. So then at this point, we assume that Jason is killed. And then Dean takes Whitney for a canoe ride. Even though earlier in the uh, movie, she made it quite clear that she cannot swim and doesn't want to be anywhere near the water, but she decides to get in a canoe with Dean and go out into the water, which just gives him an opportunity to prove once and for all that he is an asshole and a major piece of shit because he starts rocking the canoe back and forth and eventually she falls in the water. And it looks like he's going to paddle away and leave her there. Then he has a change of heart and he circles around and pulls her back into the boat. Right. But it is also a testament to the entire situation with Jason, because apparently Jason doubled his standings as far as being a class A dick because him and Dean are best friends. Exactly. Yeah. This whole exchange between Dean and Whitney where it's like, oh, you, you know, it was my best friend even. So, yeah, it was just another interesting cog thrown in there. Was it established that Dean and Whitney were in a relationship or were they exes or? Um, yeah, from what I gathered from watching this is they had at one point been together and for whatever reason they parted ways. It sounds like Dean did not have a choice in this matter. But uh, one thing is definitely certain is Jason and Julie were still an item. So yeah, Dean and Jason are neck and neck as far as who is the bigger piece of shit in this movie going forward? And they were buying tremendously in the standings as far as who I wanted to see killed first. Right. But they're, they're also uh, trying to set up these people. This this guy could be your killer. This guy's an asshole. He could be your killer. And they're trying to throw a bunch of uh, red herrings at you here. Exactly. And then we move a little bit forward. We get to a scene of Julie receiving an email from her father. And if you were paying attention here, you would have noticed the email that's on the screen is not the email that her father's voice is reading out loud. Because the email that's on the screen is an email that reappears later. At this point, what's on the screen? doesn't make any sense so if you're not listening but you're reading along you're going what the fuck is he even talking about because it's an email about nelson there's, there's no mention of nelson in the uh, voiceover obviously they didn't film the proper thing and they're like oh just throw any of the random email shots in there nobody will notice either that or the editor needed to be fired yeah, maybe the editor fell asleep like i did a little bit ago when whitney and jason were having sex and dean was watching so we uh, jump along and um, Whitney is in the pantry and the uh, masked mechanic shows up, which, by the way, in this scene, it's very obvious that the person is a man. At this point, that doesn't make sense. But a little bit later in the story, that will make sense. And then Whitney is killed off camera, but we do see a bloody knife. And then the generic Ritz crackers are now laying in a pool of blood on the floor and we see a reflection. Right, which makes me extremely angry because one thing you should not be eating is cross-contaminated Ritz crackers. Yes. So there's a whole box of Ritz crackers completely wasted for the sake of this fucking movie. 
definitely. Uh, we can only hope that they were in fact generic Ritz crackers and not the uh, real thing, which basically I doubt there was much of a budget for this movie. So they probably were dollar store crackers that tasted like shit. And that's why they threw them in that blood because nobody wanted to eat them anyway. At least they weren't chicken in the biscuit. Then I would have been pissed off. Oh, yes, absolutely. Best cracker out there. Right. And, uh, and, Anyway, go ahead. I was I was I was getting sidetracked there for a minute. Yeah, we don't want to get uh, too far off. We don't want to spend 20 minutes talking about our favorite cracker. Oh, no, I wasn't going to go into the crackers. I just find it highly interesting. Maybe you were going to touch on this is the fact that surprisingly Whitney is murdered. Well, okay, that part is not surprising. But what's surprising is the fact that all of a sudden it's completely cleaned up. Later on, fast forward, and there is not one trace of Whitney's body, Whitney's blood, whatever. So apparently, Trevor Morehouse is a neat freak. On top of being a mechanic and a tree pruner, he is an expert at the janitorial field. He's great at cleaning up blood. and Yeah, so if it was not for his homicidal tendencies, then uh, he would make one hell of a, you know, a handyman, maintenance man, whatever, because apparently he does it all. Made, mechanic, tree pruner, etc. Right. And then we jump to a scene, which I guess we're to assume that some time has passed, but immediately we're met with somebody going, Whitney is missing, Whitney is missing. And it's like, has she really been gone long enough for people to be freaking out? How long has she been missing? Maybe she went for a walk. Maybe she went swimming. I mean, come on, people calm down. Maybe she's dropping a deuce. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she's taking a shit in the woods because she doesn't want to do it in the bathroom where everybody can smell it. Who knows? Then we get Toby going into a very detailed explanation about how he thinks Dean could have murdered Whitney. And at this point, they haven't confirmed Whitney's even dead yet. But Toby's like, oh, Dean did it. This is how. And it's like, damn, dude, you're like throwing Dean right under that bus. Yeah, I was completely blown away because he gave laid out a perfect timeline as far as, oh, well, this is the time that Dean could have left. This is the time he disappeared. And this is how he could have done this. And this is how he could have done that. And my first thought is, OK, well, why the hell isn't Toby on the fucking payroll for the Placid Pines Police Department? <laughs> well, that's a fucking mouthful. Right. And also at this point, why is it Toby a suspect? Because he seems to know an awful lot of details about how she apparently was murdered. Exactly. I mean, if you're a cop and the guy's like, I'm going to give you all the details, wouldn't you be like, how do you know so much, buddy? Right. I mean, not to get sidetracked, but that would be like the OJ Simpson novel, if I did it. <laughs> right. And it's like he gives, uh, you know, this whole big, long description. And it's like after you're reading it, you're like, there's no way in hell you didn't fucking do it. No, 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 no. OJ Simpson is just a great fiction writer. Okay, just keep in mind that OJ might listen to this podcast. And if you do, Mr. Simpson, you're a great fiction writer. Right. Send us money. <laughs> Send us money. Yes, by all means. So we uh, we now we jump ahead a little bit here. We get to uh, what's his name? Brad setting up the archery range. And we finally, 42 minutes into the movie, get our first on screen death. And Brad is killed in the most exciting way possible. He's shot with two arrows and dies immediately. I mean, I've, I've never been shot with an arrow, but I kind of think you might die slowly. I don't feel like you would instantly just die. Right. And at this point, I am beginning to think that Trevor Morehouse is not the killer. And that it is actually indeed Gina Davis, who is probably the most famous archer that I know. I don't know. Maybe that's an obscure reference, but Gina Davis is known for doing a lot of archery and knowing her way around a bow and arrow. 
I don't know. Maybe it's not Gina Davis. Maybe Trevor Morehouse is a student of her game or whatever. But uh, one thing I do want to touch on is you completely jumped over the fact that Dean is actually taken in by the sheriff for further questioning because Toby completely threw him under the bus. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. So, yeah, Toby, who has the timeline and knows exactly how this whole thing should have played out, is not the one that's taken in. It is, however, Dean. Dean, based solely on Toby's story. And uh, also a key plot line that you jumped over as well is Julie's dad. Apparently, we find out had worked at the camp years ago. And how do we know this? We know this through Henry, because Henry says that Nelson is coming back to even the score. And he says to ask Tommy McConnell what really happened. And who is Tommy McConnell? Julie's dad. Dun, dun, dun. Julie's dad. Which then, uh, isn't this the point where Julie sends the email asking her dad about Nelson? Right. And dad says, I don't remember a Nelson. Yeah, I don't know who Nelson is. Never heard of him. So much like us, when dad sees the name Nelson, he says, who the fuck is Nelson? Right. You, all you people keep talking about this Nelson character. I don't know who you're talking about. So we now move along. Brad's been shot with an arrow. His body, of course, is taken away because, you know, that's how it works. You can't just leave the dead people laying around. They might be discovered. And suddenly we find ourselves in a position where Dean is no longer the prime suspect. It is now Jason. Jason, which we get Toby, says the killer had to be Jason. And I thought, oh, isn't that ironic? The killer had to be Jason. Wrong movie, Toby. Right. And it wasn't enough for it to be a blatant Friday the 13th ripoff. They, throughout this movie, had to throw in numerous Jason references, innuendos, tongue-in-cheek references to Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees, etc. Oh, yeah. They flat out did it. At at one point when uh, they're sitting in the cabin, Toby says the line, oh, something like, oh, great. The one guy pissed off had to be a psycho killer named Jason. And it's like directly referencing Friday the 13th. Like, dude, you you guys know you're making a ripoff of the movie, right? And yet you're going to reference the movie you're ripping off in your movie? I don't know. Maybe this movie is supposed to be like... A, Satire, parody, etc. Or like a paying homage. This is like their love letter to the Friday the 13th movies. Like, we're going to make a, a kind of a movie like yours because we love your movie so much? I would think 13-year-old me could have wrote a much better love letter than that. I, well, yeah, probably. And I wrote my share of failures on those as well. <laughs> so at this point, I don't remember exactly what happened. Uh, they're talking in there in the cabin, and then uh, Toby mentions Jason. And then he's told to go somewhere, and he makes the comment, something like, I should just carry a sign that says, kill me next, or please kill me, or something like that. Um, but he leaves, because he's told to, and he does what he's told. And then uh, Julie... Uh, I have in my notes that Julie's walking to the lake, but I don't remember why she's walking to the lake. Yeah, I can't recall it. She's heading towards the lake and she's being followed by the uh, mechanic in a hockey mask. And um, two things here. Number one, he's walking behind her, but every time she turns around, he's gone. So apparently when he stops moving, he turns invisible. Like the ghosts in one of the Mario Brother games, where when your back is to them, you can see them, but when you turn around, they disappear. This guy, Mask Man, has that ability. And uh, note number two, this dude's ass is dirty as shit. Like, he has shit or dirt or dirty shit on his ass as he's walking. Like, he was just, like, hanging out, sitting in mud puddles, and then he's like, oh, shit, I got to go chase Julie. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's best case scenario. I don't know about you. I don't know how many times you've worn coveralls, but sometimes if you have a bathroom emergency, sometimes those zippers get stuck in your fuck. And quite possibly that's what happened. This could have been a perfect opportunity for an ad for, say, Pepto-Bismol, Kaopectade, et cetera, because apparently Trevor Morehouse or whoever this mechanic in the mask is, he has the shits. So I don't think at this point we should judge. I think we should probably sympathize a little bit that we've all been there. You know, you go to Hooters, you have a cousin, you have some hot wings. And the next thing you know, you're in the friggin' mall bathroom and your underpants are in the trash. That's can. right. You go to the mall, you got a shit, you don't make it to the bathroom. Ew, gross. Yeah, you throw your pants in the garbage. And this story gets mentioned over and over and over through the years. Oh, if only I knew somebody who that happened to. Right. You know, and the next thing you know, you're shopping the mall and you're going commando. So anyway, back to the story. And let's uh, let's pull away from this fictional tale that never happened. Just to uh, just to wrap this up and clarify, your assessment here is that Trevor Morehouse ate at Hooters and got explosive diarrhea, couldn't get the overalls off or the coveralls off, shit himself. And that's what we're seeing when he's walking along is the remnants of the diarrhea hanging out in the ass of his pants. That is correct. Yeah, I actually have managed to get a hold of the director's cut and the unedited footage shows that the one and only franchise in Placid Pines is a Hooters franchise. It's about 20 minutes up the road. And uh, yeah, there is a scene that was left in the cutter room. Okay, yeah, I can't fucking do this. I'm lying. This It never happened. So then we're... But yeah, I think he shit his pants. We are to assume then that this is not on a Friday, but in fact on a Tuesday, which back then was uh, 25 cent wing day at Hooters. That is correct. And maybe he washed it down with a, you know, an IPA or whatever. Well, back then it would just been like a Budweiser. Correct. People weren't drinking that fancy shit back then. They were just drinking whatever was on tap. Budweiser, probably Bud Light. Who knows? I don't drink. So uh, I don't know the beers other than Budweiser. Yeah, I don't drink anymore. I don't drink any less. Okay, (laughs) moving forward. So we move along. And at this point, Julie does realize she's being chased. She takes off running. Uh, She runs out into the road and she's almost hit by a car. The car screeches to a halt on a dirt road, which I'm pretty sure that you cannot screech your tires on a dirt road. I've stopped on dirt roads many, many times and I've never heard a screeching sound once. We learn that the driver of this car is Dean and apparently screeching to a halt on a dirt road also causes you to get a flat tire because he's now got a flat tire. Also, he was leaving because he was pissed because they accused him of being the killer. And so he was like, fuck this place. I'm out of here. Right. Because when you're completely innocent and you're accused of something, then that is your first instinct is to get angry rather than just stick around and try as hard as you can to help find the real killer. Right. Your first instinct is to bail. Right. Well, what you do is you promise that you will find the real killer. But then you don't actually look for the real killer. You just write a book about what you would have done if you were the killer. But uh, at any event, Julie just takes off walking, leaves Dean to change the flat tire, at which point Trevor Morehouse appears and slices his throat with uh, apparently a garden claw, those little three-pronged garden claws, which that was a pretty clean cut across the throat if it was done with one of those things. They don't really have a blade on them, so I don't know how he did that. That was pretty amazing. 
Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that would work either. I've actually done some gardening in my time, done some mulching and had one of those garden claws and tried to open the bag of mulch with the garden claw and all it does is end up tearing a hole. So yeah, the fact that you get surgical-like precision from a garden claw is absolutely amazing to me. So chalk another one up for the skill levels of one Trevor Morehouse. Right. And so then we get Dean attempting to call out to Julie, but of course he can't because his throat's been slit. So she keeps walking and then uh, Trevor decides he's going to finish the job in the most hideous and brutal way possible. He hits Dean in the back, apparently, with the uh, claw and kind of wiggles it around a little bit and Dean instantly dies, which I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I think if I hit you in the back with a garden claw and wiggle it around a little bit, you'd probably just go, ow, fucker, what are you doing? Yeah, not exactly a Mortal Kombat like fatality. No, I don't think it would be a fatality, but maybe he died from the uh, blood loss from his neck being sliced open. Or, you know, maybe infection or whatever. You don't necessarily know that Dean died right away. He could have laid there for several days, got gangrene or whatever, and the infection could have ran through his body and killed him. Who knows? Maybe he was playing dead so Trevor would leave. But he was afraid Trevor didn't leave, so he just continued to play dead and did, didn't move for several days and then died. Right, because I, I've never had my throat cut, but I would think that possibly it could hinder your ability to turn your head and look and see if somebody was still standing there over your body or if they had walked away. So we're going we're gonna to give Dean the benefit of the doubt on that one. Yeah, so then uh, I, I, I literally watched this movie last night, and I'm struggling to remember what happened next. I've got my notes, but I, I think my notes jump ahead because you pointed out to me a couple of times that I jumped ahead. So do you remember what, what was the next thing that happened after Dean died? Actually, what I have in my notes is the mystery of who Nelson is, is is finally solved as we find out that Nelson Hammond was a 12-year-old boy who drowned in 1974 playing bloody murder. So that's how we find out who Nelson Hammond was. And you fast forward to 1981 and you find out that his former counselor, hang in here, folks, his former counselor is one Bill Anderson. Yes, that Bill that was killed at the beginning of the movie with the pregnant girlfriend in the car with the chainsaw was Nelson Hammond's camp counselor. And Nelson Hammond is the one that committed the murder. Wow, I give you credit. I did not make that connection. The the Bill thing, I heard the Bill Anderson, but it didn't it did not make the connection. But it makes sense now. The guy at the beginning would have been the same guy because that would explain why the guy at the beginning was killed. Right. But it would then uh, make you a uh, question if that was an intentional killing, how did the killer make him run out of gas at that exact spot so that he would be there to kill him? Uh siphon. Oh yeah. He, he, he siphoned the gas out and gave him just I yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that happens. Clearly, he said this car gets 20 miles to the gallon, so I'm going to empty the tank and put exactly one gallon in and then go 20 miles away and wait for it. So, yeah, chalk yet another one up to just these guys that just have incredible skill levels and can think outside of the box. So then what we end up with is Jason has conveniently reappeared and he is pleading his innocence to Julie and promptly arrested because, hey, you show up and people think you are a murderer. Well, well, hold on. He's arrested because, if you remember, Julie dropped her towel when she was being chased. And then Drew brought the towel back and there was a footprint on the towel. Then the cop asked Julie, is this Jason's footprint? And she said, yes. And that's why they arrested him. Because she identified a footprint. Because, you know, she just knows that well. I mean, she's so into that dude that she knew exactly what pattern his boots would have on them to identify them immediately. 
it's from all the years that they spent together watching forensic files. So yeah, she knows her in and outs of footprints and she definitely knows her boyfriend's footprint. Yeah. And also I'm pretty sure that just a single footprint, which may or may not match your shoe is not enough evidence to arrest somebody. I think you might need a little bit more than that. Right. I, yeah. I mean, we could definitely see a lawsuit coming. So I'm not sure exactly what you got at this point, but another thing that I have here that sticks out to me is Julie, all of a sudden, for some reason, is running the obstacle course there at the camp, and she's climbing up the wall, and somebody mysteriously is cutting the rope that she is usually climbing the wall. So at this point, she falls off the wall, lands on her back, but somehow, miraculously, manages to scrape her knee. Because as we established earlier, these people in this movie have an issue with knees. Because first we had Jason, who somehow broke his knee running, and now we have Julie, who somehow scrapes her knee, falling off a rope and landing on her back. And conveniently, at this point in the movie is when I decided that I needed a drink. <laughs> well, to backtrack just a little bit, there was a scene a little before this where they were looking at a newspaper. And the headline in the newspaper said that Trevor Morehouse was a suspect in the case of the missing teens. And I found this odd because all throughout the movie, they kept insisting that Trevor Morehouse was not a real person. But yet the newspaper felt the need to print a headline saying this potentially fictional character is a suspect in the case of some missing teens. So I guess the cops now think that imaginary characters actually commit crime. Right. Also, a little bit after that, we did get a scene where Julie received an email from her father, and that was the actual email that appeared earlier in the movie with the incorrect voiceover. This time, the voiceover matches, and it was the email where he goes, oh, wait a minute, I do think I remember Nelson. So yeah, Julie falls, scrapes her knee. Uh, it's devastating. She's out of commission now. She'll never run track again. She probably hates everybody. She uh, will never speak to them again. And then, uh, then we get... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you go ahead. And then, miraculously, who should show up at the campsite but Julie's dad? Right. But let's pause there. Back up a little bit. Hit that rewind button. You skipped over a part. Doug is asked to go grab the tug of war rope, and he heads off to get said rope, goes into the supply cabin, and grabs a bunch of red rubber balls, which apparently he thinks tug of war rope means red rubber balls. Right before grabbing the balls, we see him playing with some lawn darts. Then as he's walking out the door. He said grabbing the balls. He's, he's playing with the balls. He's playing, with <laughs> with the, playing with the balls. <laughs> he's playing with his balls. And then he's cupping his balls as he walks out of the cabin. And wham, lawn dart through the back, comes out the chest. Ooh, graphic violence. Yay. Except, wait. He falls down, we see his back, and it looks like a broken arrow sticking out his back, but a lawn dart sticking out the front. So this is quite confusing, because that's not how lawn darts work, or arrows, or whatever, but I don't know. In any event, he dies. He's dead now. So add another body to the count. Then we move ahead, and a car shows up, and hey, it's Julie's dad. Julie's excited. Dad's here. And uh, we see Julie introduce her dad to Drew which we really haven't talked about Drew. She was introduced way back in the beginning of the movie. We kind of skipped over her. So Drew is a character that was introduced way back in the beginning. Uh, we just kind of forgot to mention her, uh, which is kind of strange because she was in the movie a lot. Uh, over the course of the movie, her and Julie became pretty good friends. Uh, I think at one point, Drew even refers to Julie as her best friend. 
or Julie refers to Drew as her best friend, one way or the other, I don't really remember. But in any event, dad is introduced to Drew. And then at this point, Julie says she has to go back to the cabin for something. She forgot something. Uh, neither one of us can remember. Uh, maybe she secretly had to go drop a deuce. Um, and she didn't want to do it in the woods like Whitney. So she went back to the cabin and Drew said, uh, me and dad will walk down to the lake. I'll show him around. And uh, that's pretty much what happens. Drew and dad head down to the lake. Julie heads back to the cabin. And uh, now that we've brought you up to speed on who Drew is, we can proceed from there. The one thing that I find interesting is dad is standing on the end of the dock. And out of the blue, Drew just proceeds to whack the shit out of him with an oar and sends him falling into the lake unconscious. I don't know for sure if that's Drew, though. I mean, we do see Dad on the dock. We do see Drew with the oar. But at the moment of impact, we don't actually see who hit him. So maybe we're to believe that Drew had actually walked away because we know that she does meet up with Julie right after that happened. Yeah. So maybe Drew walked away and maybe that was actually the uh, masked man. But it definitely looks like it's Drew. And if it was Drew, yeah, it's definite what the fuck moment, which is immediately followed by another what the fuck moment, which is when Drew pops up out of the bushes and very angrily says to Julie something like, uh, looking for someone or something like that. And she looks very angry and then immediately goes into like happy mode. And that's also never explained. Why is Drew so evil and angry looking when she pops out of the bushes, but then immediately is just like, hey, let's go down to the lake. I actually have a theory on that. I think what it was is Julie is the only one that had the keys to the cabin. And so Drew was in a position yet again where she had to drop yet another deuce in the woods. And so I think that's why she was angry. It's like, okay, what the hell, bitch? You get to go back to the cabin every time you got to drop a deuce. You got the keys and you never give me the keys. I'm the one that's always got to take a shit out here in the middle of the woods and the freaking poison ivy and the poison oak and whatnot. So I think that's probably Drew's problem at that point. I could be a little bit off base, but that's my theory. That is a possible scenario but we also kind of skipped over something that's of major importance which would be while julie was in the cabin she made a discovery that all these people uh have links to certain things blah 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 i don't i'm not gonna run through the whole thing but in the end the discovery was that drew has a link to the events that happened way back when julie's dad was a counselor at the camp yes and this one came completely out of left field this actually did catch me by surprise but do you remember what the link was because I don't. The link was you find out that Drew's dad is deceased, which was actually revealed earlier. She talked about her father in the past, but her dad was none other than Bill Anderson. Ah. Yes, that Bill Anderson that was murdered at the beginning of the movie okay. by Nelson. So then that would indicate that somehow the pregnant lady in the car did survive. Because we would assume then that Drew was the baby in the car with the pregnant lady in the belly. That is correct. And I think she, they actually do touch on that and say, in fact, Drew reveals that, yes, my mother was in the car. And I do believe that that was, that was the, the concept that was pushed out there by Drew was, yes, her mother did survive. Her father was killed, et cetera, et cetera. So. These are all things that should have been like, whoa, moments. But instead, we're like, OK, sure, moments. Because at this point, I kind of just didn't care enough to even make that connection. But now it's kind of like, oh, now it all makes sense. The beginning opens with the guy getting killed. Pregnant mom survives, has a baby. Here we are. Her baby is Drew, grown up. 
And now Julie makes the assumption or the discovery or the realization that Drew is actually the person in the mask killing everybody. Uh, the only problem with that theory is that we discovered earlier when the uh, Whitney in the pantry scene, the person in the mask looked very much like a man. Drew does not look like a man. So then we either assume that she's wrong or that they just did a really bad job of having a man stand in as the killer at the scenes when the killer was doing it because they thought the girl couldn't handle it. Who knows? It's not like they haven't done that before in other movies. Right. I mean, we grew up in the 80s where there were some freaking really cheesy cutscenes and body doubles. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, what was that? Uh, the BMX movie with uh, Lori Loughlin, the uh, hardened criminal that she is. She uh, played in a BMX movie, and during all the BMX scenes, she was clearly played by a man in a very bad wig doing BMX stunts. And you could clearly tell it was a man, not her. So, yeah, they didn't care back then. And then, of course, uh, everybody remembers, uh, well, probably not everybody, but those of us who were around saw, uh, I believe it was Break In 2, when uh, one of the guys falls down the stairs, and he's a very small guy, but as he's falling down the stairs, he turns into a very large, muscular guy. Then when he gets to the bottom, he's a small guy again. So yeah, back then they really didn't try to get body doubles that matched the actual body. Well, I mean, how many times have you fallen down the stairs? It's possible. You don't know what your body, what happens to your body when you're falling down the stairs. Maybe sure. it was swelling. Sure, as you're falling, you gain like 40 pounds, just to kind of extra security to make sure you don't get hurt. It's possible, I suppose, but unlikely. In any event, Drew is now the believed to be killer and her and Julie are heading towards the dock. Julie's freaking out, what'd you do to my dad? And Drew says, I left him right here at the dock. Of course, we have that scene that we discussed where we believe maybe she hit him with the oar. So we're supposed to now think that maybe she is actually the killer. But as I said, maybe it's possible that she's not the killer, which, spoiler alert, she's not the killer. And we know this because as Julie is confronting her and accusing her of being the killer, the killer appears. And of course, Drew says, look behind you. And Julie says, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to look behind me. Proving that you are, in fact, stupid for not looking behind you because he's there. Right. Because countless people yell that in the middle of a movie, look behind you. And they never fucking do. I'm not stupid. I'm not going to look behind me because you're going to magically fly all the way over here and hit me from the back. But lo and behold, Dirty Ass has returned. And he now attacks Julie and Drew. Uh, not Julie Andrews, but Julie and Drew, or Drew and Julie, if you will. And uh, then Drew saves the day by swinging an oar with such force that the wind knocks him over. Because she doesn't make contact. It's bad. But I guess, believe what you will, it happens. I mean, in our movie, we had a scene that we actually cut from the movie where the girl was supposed to hit the killer with a two-by-four, and she very gingerly tapped him so lightly that he wouldn't even have felt it. And we had to cut that scene because unlike this movie, we didn't want dumb shit like that to be in our movie. That's why our movie is the greatest movie ever made. And if you're lucky, maybe you'll see it someday. So at this point, oh, what happens now? Drew swings the oar, knocks the dude over. Uh, I skip ahead at this point in my notes and basically I jump ahead to the reveal. I don't know if anything happened in between, if I pushed it out of my head. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, at this point, Julie runs uh, when Drew is using her magic to knock the killer over. Julie takes off running. Julie, sure. Julie takes off running and then she runs into Patrick. 
and she goes, oh, Patrick, 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 uh, Trevor Morehouse is here. The killer's here. Somebody's here. I don't know who's here. And Patrick says, oh, it's okay. And she says, oh, I can't find my dad. And Patrick says, I killed him. And here's the big reveal. Patrick is the killer. But his name's not Patrick. His name is a name that we've heard mentioned multiple times. And up until this point, we said, who the fuck is this person? Well, we now know. Nelson Hammond. Nelson Hammond is, in fact, the man we all know as Patrick. And he reveals that the real Patrick is hanging from a tree, just randomly hanging up there in the tree. So uh, I guess he killed him way back before we all arrived at the camp. And then at this point in my notes, it simply says, Corpse Avalanche! Because somehow or the other, a mass amount of dead people that are all hanging in a bundle, like a bunch of bananas, falls out of the tree and lands on top of Patrick Nelson. Do you recall how that happened? No, I don't recall how that happened, how all of a sudden it was hailing corpses. But I'm going to assume maybe he swung a weapon and missed his target and then hit the rope that was holding them up, which then caused them to fall. Uh, in any event, they land on top of him. He's trapped underneath the dead people. Right. And Murder 101 tells you that the thing that you should always do when you murder people, if you want to keep your corpses nice and neat, is you want to string them high up in a tree with a rope so the bears cannot get to them. That's right. So, yeah, he was very responsible in that. And, and make sure they're all together, like a bunch of bananas, just hanging all together. I mean, they're all buddies, right? They were all friends. So put them all together so they can you know, live their death together happily ever after, whatever. But at this point, uh, my notes say Drew saves the day. Uh, I think I'm skipping ahead because I do recall. I think he did skip ahead quite a bit. Yeah, I do recall uh, something somehow, somewhere along the way, Julie shows up and uh, Toby, uh, Jason. Well, some, there's a bunch of people standing around. Actually, Julie is attacked and then suddenly, bone dry, despite having been in the lake, dad makes the same. Ah, uh, yeah. So then Patrick proceeds to chase Julie with the axe. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This would be where my theory came from. My earlier theory that it wasn't actually Drew. Because if you remember, uh, Nelson tells Julie, I killed your dad, which is why I believe he's the one that hit him with the oar. And for some reason, he thought that a simple oar to the back would be enough to kill him. Maybe he assumes he fell in the water and drowned because he was unconscious. Right. But uh, no, he did, in fact, get out of the water and put on some dry clothes and blow dry his hair and then come and save his daughter. Right. And so then actually what happens is Patrick is chasing Julie with the axe and all of a sudden Jason and several people show up and Patrick proceeds to tell Jason that everything is OK. Julie has a concussion and... He's, uh, he's basically trying to get her to calm down that all these things happened because of a hallucination that he did not kill these people. And right. this is all a direct result of Julie's concussion is she's kind of made up all this stuff in her inner brain. So, uh, yeah. This all while he is very convincingly hiding the axe behind his back. Right. He's got his arm behind his back and nobody says, hey, Patrick, what are you hiding back there? No, 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 no. We're okay. He just got a bad itch. He's scratching while he tells us about Julie's concussion. Right. But luckily, or unluckily for Julie, Toby doesn't believe this bullshit. He goes into the cop's car, gets the shotgun, and he's going to save the day. But he fails miserably because the gun doesn't work. Right. Probably didn't take the safety off. Probably has never shot a gun before. I mean, most people don't understand or realize if it's got a safety on, it's not going to work. 
these are kids. These are teenagers. So I wouldn't expect them to know these things. Right. So then Drew saves the day by shooting Patrick with a pistol. Yes, then we get to the Drew save the day. So from zero to hero. Exactly. Drew comes out of nowhere as being one of the prime suspects just five minutes before to all of a sudden making the save and killing Patrick. No, shooting Patrick. Patrick doesn't die. Remember, Nelson, Patrick gets arrested. Remember, the cop is taking him to the cop car. And the cop says, I can understand why you killed Whitney and so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know why you killed Doug. And then Nelson Patrick says, I didn't kill Doug. It must have been Trevor Morehouse. I completely missed this part. I must have nodded off or something. I don't know exactly how I missed that key plot line, but I did. Yes, he, he says that line must have been Trevor Morehouse. Then we cut to Julie and Toby loading up the car. And then Jason walks up and once again has to prove that he's an asshole. And then Julie says to the asshole, hey, look, Toby's going with us. And he says, yes, we'll drop him off at the airport. And she says, no, we're dropping you off at the airport. Then he says, well, basically, fuck you, I'll walk. So Toby and Julie hop in the car. Jason takes off walking. They drive by. He kind of looks at him like, I guess he thought they were actually going to stop and pick him up. But they were like, nope, peace out, asshole, fuck off. So they drive away. They leave Jason walking down the road all by himself. And then lo and behold, masked mechanic jumps out with the chainsaw, fires it up. Once again, it doesn't actually start, but the noise is definitely there. And he comes at Jason. We would just assume he kills him. We don't know because that's when the movie ends and the credits begin to roll. Because they throw in that little cliffhanger, tying you in and getting you the, uh, the desire to or lack of desire to watch the sequel. Because you have to know what happens next. Well, I am curious. Uh, mostly I just want to know because they made a point multiple times throughout the movie to say Trevor Morehouse isn't real. Trevor Morehouse isn't real. So I just want to know, is Trevor Morehouse real? Is that in fact Trevor Morehouse that we saw at the end of the movie and at the beginning of the movie? Or is it not? And the only way to know that would be to watch the sequel, which is why I kind of think that we probably should watch the sequel. Maybe not right away. Maybe our next podcast will not be the sequel. We might give you guys a break. We might revisit this franchise down the road. But at some point, I think we need to find out who is this masked man. Is it, in fact, Trevor Morehouse? And if it is, why the fuck is he killing all these people? Or not really all these people. These two people, the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. But in any event, at this point, uh, we are going to give our ratings. This wasn't discussed beforehand, but uh, we are going to rate on a one to 10 corn cob scale because we live in the middle of the corn fields. So we should incorporate corn somewhere. And I think this would be where. Uh, that being said, I'm going to give this 4.5 corn cobs or four and one half eaten corn cobs out of 10. Uh, it wasn't a horrible movie, but it wasn't a great movie. It was uh, slightly below mediocre. I myself, watching this movie, found it ironic that the campgrounds were named Camp Placid Pines because, to be completely honest with you, I felt that they should have actually been named Camp Flaccid Pines because this movie was basically just limp from the get-go and it failed to rise to my expectations. And so, yeah, I would honestly give this movie probably four corn cobs. I wouldn't quite call it as good as Middle of the Road, but it wasn't exactly horrendous either but definitely not my favorite 
like I said, way too many references to the movie that it was ripping off and way too many convoluted plot lines and swerves thrown in there to the point where I felt like it was throwing swerves just for the sake of throwing swerves. And I felt like it complicated things way too much. I agree. I went in with very low expectations. So I was pleasantly surprised because it, it was actually better than I expected it to be. Before watching it, we both did watch the trailer and we both agreed that the trailer made it look horrible. I was, in fact, dreading the idea. I was like, oh, man, why did we pick this movie to be the first movie that we watch? So after watching it, I was like, oh, OK, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, by no means was it a good movie. But when you expect something to be a complete and total shit show and it's not, that's something, right? It's, it's a good thing, I guess, that it wasn't a horrible movie. It, it was watchable. I mean, it's not like you couldn't sit through it. We both made it till the end. And there's definitely been movies that I have turned off or fast forwarded through because I just couldn't handle watching it. So they do have that going for them. Right. And I did manage to stay awake for the entirety of this movie, which is actually rare for me. As you know, it is quite customary for me to nod off in the middle of the best of movies. And I don't know if it's because it was broad daylight or maybe I'm taking this position, you know, a lot more seriously. But I did I did remain conscious and resisted the urge to scroll through my phone and through social media while watching this and did give it my undivided attention. Apparently, with the exception of that last reveal we discussed a little while ago. Yeah, when Nelson was revealed to be alive and being arrested and also revealed that he did not, in fact, kill Doug, uh, you somehow missed all of that. But other than that, yeah, I, I do believe you caught things. Uh, you actually pointed out some things that I missed or overlooked uh, or that I just skipped over. I did watch this movie twice because the first time I kept pausing it to take notes. And so I kind of felt like I wanted to watch it from beginning to end nonstop to get a better feel for the flow of the movie. And also just a bit of a refresher because I well, the first time I watched it was like a week and a half ago. So I did want to watch it last night just so I would kind of remember. But even then, I still didn't remember a lot because I guess it's just not that memorable. Right. Honestly, like uh, we could come back next week and you could say, hey, uh, tell me about Bloody Murder. And I'd be like, ah, oh, there was a guy in a hockey mask. Uh, the girl didn't do it. Uh, that's about all I remember. It is what it is. Uh, if you're into watching movies that aren't great, but are watchable, give it a look. I watched this movie on DVD because there for a brief moment in time, I was buying all those uh, midnight movie DVDs, whatever, where you get like four or eight movies for five bucks. Um, then this was in one of those sets. So I do own it, but I probably will never watch it again. But it is streaming. I believe you watched it on Amazon Prime, right? That is correct. Yeah, I, I did manage to find it on Prime. And it is also streaming on Tubi, which is free with commercial interruptions. But the commercial interruptions would give you a chance to, you know, go to the bathroom, get a drink, take a quick nap, whatever the case may be. Um, if you really want to see this movie, it's out there. It's available. You can find it. But that being said, I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. I think we've given this movie way more than enough of our time. However, if you if you do happen to watch this movie and you have your own takes or your opinions on the opinions that we have offered and you would like to enlighten us on those, feel free to reach out to us on the social media platforms that we will extend to you um, in just a couple of short minutes. And uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear your opinions if they differ from Damien and I's. Yes. Uh, speaking of those social medias, I'll go ahead and give them to you right now. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at 
Maniacs Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Maniacs Pod, or you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Midwest Movie Maniacs. Or if you would rather uh, communicate via email, we can be reached at MidwestMovieManiacs at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up if you've seen this movie and you want to talk about it. Go ahead. If you are in this movie or somehow involved with making this movie and you want to tell us that uh, we suck, go ahead. Or you want to go, yeah, I made this movie and I agree with everything you said. This movie was horrible. Go right ahead. If you want to come on to talk about it, get a hold of us. We'll bring you on, uh, especially you, Jessica Morris, since you uh, pretty much made it known that you don't like this movie. We know that you would be more than happy to come on and talk shit about it. And we would be more than happy to let you do so. So, yeah, there's that. If you want to reach me on my own accounts, that would be at does a lot. That's D-U-Z-Z-A-L-O-T-T on, I believe, both. Twitter and Instagram. And then what about you, Mark? Where can people get a hold of you? You can get hold of me on my Twitter account, which is at the Mark Storm, capital T and the capital M and Mark and capital S in Storm. All one consecutive word. That's right. Mark had to put the in front of his name because he's so famous that he needed to make sure that you were talking to, in fact, the Mark Storm, not one of the many imitators out there, because as it says in our uh, bios on our Maniacs podcast social media sites, we are Midwest legends, Damien and Mark. Everybody wishes they were as great as us and made a movie as great as our movie that you will never see, or maybe you will. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. But I'm telling you guys, if we release that movie, it's going to shut down the horror industry because nobody will ever be able to make a movie as great as this one. So for your sake, hope we never release that movie. Hope we keep that on the shelves in my vault for the public to never lay their eyes upon. Or hope we don't let you see it because it's really a bad movie. But you can see Mark acting, if that's what you want to call it. Which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you play every character that's not a woman or the killer in that movie? That is correct. Yeah, I show my diversity and my acting skills in that. And if you happen to get hold of the director's cut, then you will actually catch a moment where I lose my towel. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, ladies, I believe I lost that footage. I don't know if I still have it. I do have the edited version, but the uh, towel dropping scene was not included at the time. We just didn't feel that it fit in with the movie. We were not going for gratuitous nudity in our movie. Well... And let's be honest, there were certain things that just flat out didn't fit into the frame. <laughs> yeah, right. Also, the fact that the reason why the towel fell off was because you fell on your ass. <laughs> and it was rather embarrassing. Well, and in the course of trying to keep this podcast somewhat clean and, you know, less controversial, I'm not going to discuss what I tripped on. <laughs> That's another day. That's another uh, another podcast. So at this point, uh, we will be wrapping up this podcast. We do not know what our next movie is going to be. We will pick a random movie. We will put it out there. If there are movies that you would like us to review, go to any of our social medias and look for the post that says, what should we watch next? And leave a suggestion. And then uh, if it's a movie we can get our hands on, we will do so. Um, if it's available on Amazon, I will add it to our Amazon wish list. And if you purchase the movie, you will then guarantee that we will watch and review that movie. If you don't purchase the movie, then we will do our best to get a hold of it. But we're not going to uh, spend a whole lot of money buying movies that we don't want to watch. 
just a heads up there. So try to get us things that are available for free online or super cheap on eBay or buy it for us. So with that being said, uh, I think we are done here. Is there anything else that you wanted to say before we go? Uh, no, I think we've said everything that needs to be said about this movie in particular. And uh, yeah, we look forward to talking to you again and hopefully uh, maybe watching something that isn't as big a steaming pile. Yeah, I think we will try to pick a better movie for the next one. And so uh, thank you for listening to this. We hope you enjoyed it. Please keep in mind, this is our very first episode. Uh, we will be you know, making changes along the way and hopefully improving things. And anything that you might suggest that we could do to improve, please, by all means, let us know. Uh, there may have been some audio issues. We are still working out all that. Uh, we got to get better equipment and you know, get a better setup going which you can help us out with by going to our social media, clicking on the link tree link and donating. Uh, there are links on there. If you would like to donate to help us buy better equipment, uh, we would appreciate that, but that's completely up to you. So uh, until next time, this is Damien saying peace out. Say bye, Mark. Bye, Mark. <laughs> Later, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>